Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show, sponsored by Paychex with Steve and Trish. Trish, we are covering one of our favorite themes on the podcast today. That's right. It's Workplace Movie Hall of Fame week. We thought it'd be perfect for the 4th of July week to do a little bit of a lighter show, lighter tone show, more fun show. What better summertime workplace movie hall of fame movie to take on then 1975's Jaws. I know, right? We picked this movie. I have to admit at first I was questioning our choice after rewatching a movie I don't think I've seen since probably 1983 or so. Um, Cause I was too young to watch it. You probably were too when it actually came out. I, I anyway, a, yeah, I'm, I'm slightly older than you, Trish, as you've mentioned 87 times uh, in the history of this show. I saw <laughs> Jaws when it was in theaters. I actually, I remember this from my youth. I saw it in a drive-in, a drive-in theater that summer, the summer of 1975. It was, uh, I do, rem- I vividly remembered. It was super exciting. So you would have been like eight, like that would have been a yeah. really scary movie, I think, to watch at a drive-in. But it, I, I remember we got cable in 1983. And so I, I'm sure I saw it on like HBO or something like that. But so yes, I'm glad we're revisiting. I legit had no idea what the story was anymore. And so it was almost like watching a brand new movie. So for folks who maybe are new to the Workplace Movie Hall of Fame series, I can't remember the last one we did. It's been a little bit. Well, uh, Trish and I break down kind of the workplace and leadership and interpersonal dynamic relationships that we discover from watching a famous movie, typically an older movie. This is the oldest movie I think we've taken on in Workplace Movie Hall of Fame, Trish. Probably. Movie, let me give me, I'll give you some stats and the listeners as well about Jaws. Again, okay. as I said, it came out in 1975. It was the number one grossing movie of 1975 with $260 million in ticket sales. Trish, if you convert that to 2021 dollars, that's 1.3 billion today, which so think the level of blockbuster really? of this movie was is kind of underrated. This was more than double the biggest movie of 1975. It won three Oscars for sound, for editing, and original score. Those who've seen this movie are familiar with the, the famous yes. Here Comes the Shark music, right? And uh, was directed by the legend Steven Spielberg and stars Roy Scheider as the sheriff, Robert Shaw as Quint, the old seafarer, and Richard Dreyfuss as the marine biologist. And the, the, the theme of the movie in one sentence, Trish, when a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. Mm. I, I have, have to say, to- I really love this movie. I really love this movie too. And I didn't think I would. And, and if you have not seen it or not seen it in many years, it's like, yes, it is made in the seventies, you know, effects now are, would be a little more dramatic, I think, but the, the movie itself, it really holds up. We say a lot of times that the movies from the eighties or seventies don't hold up. I think it does. Don't you? Yeah, it really does. The, the things you notice maybe is that for an action movie, a big summer blockbuster movie, and it has a ton of action and, and some scares and that kind of thing, it moves kind of slow. It's paced a little bit more slowly. Uh, uh, Quint, who's the one of the, the pretty much the pivotal, pivotal character in the movie, the old seafarer captain they hire to go out and kill the shark, he's not in the movie for, for much of the first half of the movie. He shows up for right. a minute or two, and then we don't see him again for quite some time. So it's, uh, it's a little bit different in that regard. But uh, yeah, so there's tons of um, 
kind of workplace and leadership and interpersonal kind of working dynamics at play, organizational dynamics at play here, Trish. Uh, what are, what's one thing that stood out to you and just said, man, I, this is something that's important to, to take away from this movie. I guess my first comment would just be that coming into it and having not seen it for so long, I was struggling thinking like, how, is, how are we going to equate this to the workplace? But there, like you mentioned, there were so many, so many things. I think that, you know, you mentioned that Quint, the seafarer, the, the captain of the boat, and he's, you know, he's kind of your typical movie captain, right? He's drunk a lot of the time. He's <laughs> a little gruff. He does really outrageous, outlandish things on the boat to damage the boat and damage communications and whatnot. And so I think what really struck me is that, you know, the, the first part of the movie, like you said, it's sort of slower. It sets up why these three men are going to come together, right? So first for me, with when you're looking at a sheriff and a boat captain, and then, you know, the marine biologist who's coming in to sort of like be their, their consultant, if you will, right? The, the expert. They're all very different kinds of people. They have very different backgrounds. And so it was really interesting to me from a workplace perspective to think about like all the teams I've been on or, you know, watch teams be formed. These three could not be more different. And actually, fun fact uh, that Karen Hunter shared with us is that, you know, two of the actors actually despised each other. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus didn't even like each other in real life. So I think the biggest thing to me is that not only can you take three really different characters and bring them together for sort of some greatness um, and, and some, you know, a successful outcome, but to take two actors who don't even like each other or actually really strongly dislike each other and yet they were able to come and work together in such a way that it created one of the biggest blockbusters of all time so to me that's kind of the biggest work takeaway I guess I don't know what about you what really stood out yeah if I had to pick one thing and you know rather than sort of go chronologically through the movie but the biggest thing for me would be that team that three-person team that was assembled from really diverse backgrounds. And if we really want to equate it to like real kind of workplace in HR, mm -hmm. you really had a regular full-time employee, right? The sheriff worked for oh, the town. True. You had like a gig economy worker, right? A contractor, if you will, right? Quint, the, right. the, the captain they hired a, basically for a bounty for $10,000 to go kill this sure. shark. And then you had kind of like a maybe an intern slash volunteer, depending on how you want to define him. It's not totally clear, but Hooper, marine biologist, doesn't work for the town. He doesn't work right. for Quint. He's just got someone who's got expertise, who's going to lend their expertise to this mission. I don't think they were paying him. And so, you know, it's just different. It wasn't like, okay, we've got to go put up a job posting, if you will, and hire somebody <laughs> to go help us kill this shark. Of course, there wasn't time, right? Because in the, the basic plot of the movie is we're coming up on July 4th weekend in this resort town that's relying on the beaches and the beaches being open and people flocking for summer vacations and then then going to the local businesses and restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. That's what keeps the town afloat, like many beach towns. And it's a couple of days before July 4th and we've got this crazy person eating shark out in the water that we need to do something about. So that to me was a big thing, like bringing this team together from really diverse backgrounds. In 1975, Trish, no one talked about the gig economy. It was not, I, I, I assure people it was not mentioned in this movie once, but, the, uh, but that's kind of what happened here to solve a problem that the organization had, in this case, the town. I love that you mentioned that because I hadn't even thought of it in that regard at all. So I think that's what's fun about these movies is that 
when you really start looking at many of the movies we watch, we pick up on different things as to how that might actually work in the workplace today. So yeah, you're right. He was a, a complete gig worker and, uh, and quite a character. And, and I will say this, maybe to extend on that is when you have a team that's very diverse like that, where you might have some, you know, sort of the full-time employee versus, you know, an intern versus a, a gig worker, it wasn't clear moment to moment sometimes of who the leader was. And that's one of the comments like I made a note on is what happens if you don't have a sort of a designated leader, um, each one in different portions of the, you know, sort of going after the shark had to take that lead position. And it was sometimes a fight over who was going to get their way. Right. And so I, I think too, that happens in the workplace. You know, you might have someone with a title of a leader, but really, uh, there are so yeah. many other factors and personality that come into play of who actually leads a team to success or to failure, right? Because that's, there were several times where this was not going to go well. Yeah, that's a good point because you got this quote unquote cross-functional team of three persons coming together with the, with one mission and one mission only, go kill this shark. And uh, it's but it's unclear, as you said, who the leader is. And I guess that can happen in organizations as well. Uh, especially when it's really kind of in vogue right now to talk about work being a series of projects and not so much tied to job descriptions anymore and and organizations trying to be more agile and bring together folks from different parts of the organizations to work on certain initiatives to have an understanding of like, who is the person in charge here? Uh, I mean, I do think it's important. um, It's important to have someone in charge, but it's also important to recognize when someone else has expertise that maybe you, the person in charge does not have, right? That you're willing to uh, exceed a little bit of the control, right? And uh, decision-making even to that expert because these three folks on this team are so wildly different, but are bringing each one, bringing strengths to the table, which are completely different from what the other individual strengths are. They were, I, I found too, that when they were doing that and sort of kind of oscillating between the three of t- who was sort of in charge in the moment, there was sometimes quite a bit of pushback. And I, I wrote down that, you know, how do you define like when, when to move to a different leader's opinion, for example, mm-hmm. or, or even to abort a mission, right? E- whether it's a work project or just something like, there weren't always cl- clear lines in the movie of, you know, they have like disagreements on which way was going to be the correct approach. And, and things were changing constantly once the shark was sort of kind of really prevalent in the movie and things were changing just minute to minute. It, it really reminds us kind of like how we're working now, right? We're, we have a lot of unknown factors with how work is going to continue. Um, we, we constantly have to be more agile. We hear this from every organization we talk to big and small. And I don't know, it really played out in that, you know, in that last half yeah. hour of the movie, I thought of just the, how those decisions get made. And, and sometimes the level of pushback you have to have on someone in order to be heard. Yeah. The internal dynamics between this, the three person team going out there to kill the shark, that's the crux of the movie. It's the most right. interesting part of the movie probably too. And it's kind of the most directly maybe relevant to some of the things that pe- people deal with in workplaces today. But I thought also, if you step back to the first half of the movie, really right? because going out to kill the shark is kind of the second half of the movie. The right. first half of the movie is kind of the run up. I thought it was interesting again, in a, kind of with a leadership theme of, it was very unclear in this town who was really in charge, right? Because right at the beginning of the movie, we it's a couple of days before 4th of July, the shark's out there and gets the first victim. I think it was maybe a kid on a surfboard or something. And 
maybe uh, there's chaos and there's fear and there's a hastily assembled meeting, leadership meeting of all the constituencies from the town. So the mayor, the sheriff, the business owners, maybe just concerned citizens, et cetera. And even in that meeting, right, they can't figure out the sheriff wants to close the beaches, right? Because he right. thinks they're not safe right now. And, but no one's really sure if he can do that, right? No one's sure who's in charge, right? And so at a crucial organizational juncture, right? The decision right there of open, keep the be beaches open or close them. That was a really important decision for that beach and that town and those people. And no one really knew for a while who was able to make that decision, which I thought was also kind of telling. Yeah, I think that's very real, though. It, lots of times in organizations, you don't really know who's, I mean, you have a CEO, but really, like, decisions get made all throughout, you know, different levels of leadership. And sometimes the person who's trying to make the decision doesn't have all the information. Like, I guess watching that, I was sort of thinking, like, oh, I guess it's the mayor that's going to make this decision about, right, the overall um, viability of the town and how Fourth of July is handled and obviously and a lot of money potentially to be made. But you know, the sheriff was new to the town. That was the other factor. He was new to the town. So he didn't have this established, you know, maybe if he had been there 20 years, people would have, of course, we're going to listen to the sheriff, right? Um, also what was interesting, and this happens all the time at work. He knows this information that someone's been killed by a shark. He's trying frantically to get signs made to close the beach. And yet he must have, I mean, no fewer than at least 10 different people coming up, interrupting him in his ear about their tiny little problem. Now, granted, they don't know that there's a shark on the loose or whatever, <laughs> but doesn't that happen? It's like, you know, I think about this a lot with, with HR leaders, because, you know, when you talk maybe sometimes to, uh, to sales teams for vendors, right, they're calling to try and sell something to an HR person, for example, to fix one, one slice of, of what that HR leader has to deal with or what any business leader has to deal with quite honestly, you know, like, oh, we're going to call and sell you this ATS. That HR leader probably has some other huge thing on his or her plate that, you know, that no one else knows nothing about, like that they're really stressed about, right? Maybe peril's gone completely sideways, or maybe they're being sued for something. Or So again, it just was really relatable in that, you know, here's the sheriff and he's just trying to get the job done and save lives. But yet he's got all these other people like, oh, my shop needs this happen. And, you know, and uh, what was it? The Boy Scouts or, you know, doing yeah. such and such. It's like it was all such trivial uh, portions of his day, but he had to somehow figure out how to push back. And yeah, uh, it reminds me on the tech space anyway, and maybe in just in, in, in even internal organizations, it's important to remember that yeah, sure. The customer is always right, right? In this case, the customers were the citizens of, of, of the town, right? For the sheriff, but not all customers' uh, uh, problems are the same, right? Or equally important. And not, not even just that their problems aren't the same, but not all customers are the same. That's just the truth of it, right? Like your, your biggest clients, just by the nature of, of their size, are your most important ones. And your most important constituencies inside the organization are, are that way as well. That's a good, uh, good note. Let's take a quick reset, Trish, if you will. This is the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. We are talking Workplace Movie Hall of Fame, 1975's Jaws, uh, blockbuster movie, lots of fun workplace uh, themes that we're covering. But uh, let's thank our sponsor, Trish. Of course, uh, we are sponsored by our friends at Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. More than half of businesses with 10 to 500 employees 
say the availability of the COVID-19 vaccine is causing them to start or start planning their return to the workplace. If you are thinking about instituting a vaccination policy and, and lots of organizations are right in the middle of this, you can download Paychecks latest ebook titled Managing COVID-19 Vaccinations and the Return to Work to learn about key considerations for developing your policy as well as important health and safety measures for establishing a safe and productive return to work. You can go to payx.me slash ebook dash vaccines to download your copy of the ebook today. So check that out. And many thanks to Paychex for continuing to support the community uh, through what's been a crazy year and a half. That's for sure. Yeah, so so crazy. And I'll tell you, I we've personally in our business used many of the resources that Paychex have put out there. So thank you sincerely as people who who really do use those resources. They're doing a great job of, of kind of putting it all in one place for people. So we're out on the boat, Trish. The three-person team is out on this boat and they begin to encounter difficulties. As they in- do. I tell you what, Steve, I almost, I almost don't want to talk about it. I mean, obviously we will. So, cause you, you always tease me. We can't have a spoiler alert for a movie that's, you know, 40 years old, old yeah. right? But no, this is 45 kind of, years old probably. Kind of, you can, right? Because for me, I'm, like I said, I didn't remember, obviously knew the shark. I knew the music. That's about all I remembered. And I'm sitting there with my daughter watching this, you know, this end of this movie, I'm like screaming. I'm like startled and like, it's crazy. And I did not remember how it ended at all. So yeah, it was, it's a very, uh, I don't know, just surprising ending to a movie um, for me. So I don't know how much you want to share. I'll leave that to you. But one thing I will mention in the, in the last 30 minutes of the movie that, that really struck me was um, again, we're back to the three people who are trying to, you know, catch this shark kill the shark, get the shark, whatever, whatever they're trying to do. It seems to change moment to moment. The amount of trust they had to have with each other and what starts happening when that trust breaks down, because Quint, the, the sea captain, I feel like he starts losing it, right? He starts busting up their communication, uh, you know, yeah. radio. I don't even understand why he did that. I well, don't know if it I becomes a difference something. of opinion amongst the three-person team, mainly the sheriff, who was who set up it, it, as a character being the most level-headed, the most pragmatic sure. kind of, um, you know, just even-keeled kind of character, probably amongst the three. I think he comes to the conclusion that hey, we're we're not equipped to handle this job. We don't have the right equipment. We don't have the right skills. The, the, the job's too big for us. In this case, the shark is really getting the upper hand uh, con- consistently on these three guys in the boat. The boat's taking on damage, et cetera. The sheriff wants to radio for help, essentially. Right. And Quint, who at this point is now obsessed with this mission, and I don't think it has anything to do with money or anything to do with right. that. It's more that he's decided that this job, completing this job and being successful at it is, is more important than anything else, decides to bust up the radio equipment such that they're truly out there on their own because they're, they're pretty far out to sea, I guess. I don't know exactly how far, but far enough where smashing up that radio means they're, and this is 1975 too, no one's, no one's got a cell phone on this boat, right? Yeah. So uh, they, uh, they're on their own essentially. And so then that's when we start to see some of the team dynamics breaking down in that real moment of stress. And I guess a good allegory or a good lesson back to our own organizations that, I, look, we're not, most of us, right, are not in life or death situations at work, 
that's very, very few of us are. But those of us are not. Things can get testy. Things can get really heated. There can be tons of pressure. Like, so forget the, the shark trying to kill us and destroy our boat. That's your biggest client who's at risk of going to the competitor and which will right. maybe destroy your business if you lose them. There's almost similar levels of pressure there too in real workplaces. Well, I would agree, right? If you lose a client and it's your client, I mean, that might be your whole book of business or a majority of it, and then you lose your job. So yeah, it can absolutely be life and death in that way. I think too, at that point, you know, the shark is a good representation of sort of all of those things that are out there because at that point, the shark wasn't necessarily going to kill them. I didn't think because they could have that, that they had that choice, right? They could have stopped and gone back at that point. The boat was really old and rickety to begin with, which that's a whole nother. I, I was thinking too, again, I'm trying to think of it in terms of what we do. And I'm thinking like, Oh yeah. Imagine an organization that has like the most outdated technology possible, right? You've got some 20 year old technology you're trying to cobble together to get a big job done. That boat had holes in it to begin with something. And like, that is a perfect example of, yeah, you know, you, that's you really, really will struggle, right? If you don't invest in the proper equipment for the job for the time you're starting out like way you know, way behind, right? I so think that's a real, I didn't think of that, Patricia, but that's a great point because I think a lot of times in organizations, we tend to, uh, a perfect example is payroll. I'll mention it, I, you know, and nod to our friends at Paychecks. I've been in organizations where that had really old and antiquated payroll systems, kludgy, buggy, really just not user-friendly, mm -hmm. but the couple these two organizations I'm thinking of had payroll managers and payroll leaders who had been with the organization for a decade plus, maybe two right. decades, right? They were very long-term experts and just, they knew, they, knew, they knew payroll, of course, but they knew how to make this awful system kind of get the job done and the organization relied on them so heavily to do it. And usually when I was there, things worked out, right? Be but they didn't work out because the technology, they worked out because the organization could count on these people with this incredible expertise. Now we see a little bit of that here in this movie too, right? As you said, the boat is old and rickety. It's got holes in it. It's not up to, it's probably underpowered. It's probably, it can't outrun Absolutely. the shark, right? Cause they tried to do that at one point. And, but the, the, the mission, if you will, is relying on the expertise of the three person team who are pretty capable, but all three of them in different ways oh, sure. to try to overcome that. And they kind of do, but kind of don't, right? As we learn in the movie gets towards its end. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you'd put them in a new boat, a bigger boat, there would have been no story. Yeah. Right. It would have been an easier task to go out there, locate the shark tie it up, do whatever they need to do, tranquilize it. And, you know, a, a stronger boat would have, would have done the job. And actually I do think that that's pretty much what's true. I think the other thing too, when I was thinking about that and kind of based on what you just said was, so you have those three different experts, if you will, with, with varying experience, you can hire two or three experts to come into your company. And I've had this happen in my career where, where a company says like, oh, I really need you. We're ready for you, right? We're ready for what you know how to do. And you get there and they either don't have the technology or they just aren't really ready for change. So just because you hire a consultant, a team of experts, a new hire, whatever it is, it doesn't mean that you're going to be successful if you don't back it up with the technology or with the tools they need. Because just because someone's been successful 
like in that case, just because they had successfully captured other big sharks didn't mean they were going to get that shark with those, with that specific set of circumstances and tools. Yeah, that's a really good point because we see in one scene where the, the two gentlemen, the sheriff and the marine biologist visit the, the captain at his headquarters, if you will. Oh, yeah, right. And all, all you see over the walls are mounted uh, sets of shark jaws, ostensibly from many, many sharks this, uh, this captain has managed to uh, capture and, and, and kill over his career. Right. So there was definitely an element of, hey, I've done this before. I'll, I can I can do it again. And and okay. that's great. I mean, confidence is really important. Right. In, in, in work and in workplaces and in life. But I guess overconfidence is something to always be on the lookout for, particularly among more senior uh, senior folks or more experienced folks. Right. Who think that they've just seen it all before and can handle anything that a project might throw at them. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to make sure you know, if you're, if you're listening to this now and you're thinking of your own role or maybe someone on your team, it's like, you have to make sure you're tapping into those appropriate skills, but that you're also backing it up with, with sort of setting them up for success with some of the right tools or other people around them. You know, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that part of the movie because I didn't, obviously didn't remember it, but that really struck a chord with me seeing all of the sharks he had actually managed. I mean, it's like, conservative maybe a hundred right they were yeah. all over the walls they were everywhere right all the, the teeth the big jaws and um the other one that kind of stood out to me in that movie where is is something that happens all the time in workplaces which is where when they finally then they they decide they're going to do this together they get on the boat but yet they don't really all know each other well they don't really necessarily believe they all have experience i think the marine biologist and the sheriff now realize that the sea captain has the experience but he's sea captain doesn't really know if these other two are going to be, you know, and they're share they're sharing and showing scars. Remember that oh, part? Right. Yes. So like the, the sea captain is kind of sharing the big scar where he's been bitten by a shark on his leg and the marine biologist is doing the same thing. And I think, again, this is really special too, because those two actors hated each other. So in my, in my head, I'm thinking like, oh my God, they really didn't even like each other. But that scene was really powerful to me because it's sort of like when you first get a new team together, you do kind of have to do a little bit of like, oh yeah, here's what I can do. Or here's what I've, here are my scars. And then the other person's like, oh yeah, well, I've done that too. And one up you and, and here's my scars. And yeah. then the sheriff, now this is what was interesting to me. The sheriff kind of raises up his shirt. He's off to the side. So he's seeing these other two kind of positioning, right? How expert they are. And he raises up his shirt and you can see he's clearly got a scar from, from being bit by a shark at some point. He doesn't mention it. Mm-hmm, right. He just slowly. Do you remember that part in the movie? Yeah. He just slowly puts his shirt down and doesn't say a word. And so again, I was like really struck, like, oh my gosh, how often does that happen? Where I've done that, where I'll listen to two other people just posturing about how great they are and how smart <laughs> they are. And then I think like, okay, I've I've done way more than that. I, there was one recently where someone was like, you know, oh, this person thinks they're so great and they've got all this experience and all this exposure. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I've probably got a lot more than them, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> just, I, I like that too. And I'd even maybe, I know we're, we, we do sometimes have to stretch the workplace connections to some of these movies, but I'll even stretch it just a bit further to say, you know, when they decide to hire Quint, th- there's no mm-hmm. part of the movie where anybody asks Quint for a resume or f- to fill out an application. <laughs> 
like all those shark jaws all over the walls of his building. That's pretty much it. That here you go. Here's my here are my credentials, right? And I think that's an yeah. interesting comparison, or we can may, maybe make one even to today, where hey, trying to find the talent you need in non-traditional ways and not necessarily relying on traditional ways of identifying, evaluating, and assessing talent. Like the shark jaws on the wall. That's my resume. So there you go. Right. No further discussion necessary. You know what? That I hadn't thought of that, but that is true. Um, I think that now, yes, people do still have resumes, but I can tell you, I haven't had a resume in. I'd be like, offended if someone asked me to give them a resume. No one's asking me for a resume, but I'd be offended if uh, someone asked me for one. I don't have one either. I, I will tell you, I do remember my last corporate job where they came to me. It was funny. They, they like came to me because of like everything they knew I did and all my body of work that's visible very publicly. But then like for the interview portion, it was like, oh, we need your resume. I'm like, uh, no, no, just no. Yeah. That's it. The answer is no. So yeah, I think that you're right. I will say too, you know, we're getting ready to close uh, a big survey we've been working on the last two months on accessibility. And part of that, and we're going to talk about it going forward is around how different people um, have to interview differently. They have to be approached differently. And so that's just another good example. Like someone might not have a resume. Someone might not have the skills to even make a resume, right? So what can we be doing? Like if you had told that ship captain, like, oh, you have to have a resume to get the job, to, <laughs> right. right? He would not have been capable, period. He just wouldn't have been able to do that. Right. But the shark teeth on the wall was the resume. So like, I love that idea of, we hadn't really thought of it that way, but, but if someone doesn't have those skills to participate in joining your organization in a traditional sense, what are we doing as the leadership of those companies to really think outside the box. Yeah. And to look you, for sort of the shark. If you're truly going to look to diversify the organization in a meaningful way, you've got to diversify yeah. the way you find, attract, assess, engage with people. You just have to. It's just definitionally correct. It's, I think it might even be math. I don't know. I'm not good at math. I won't, but I, I, that's the equation to me. Just the last thing for me, my very last point I would like to make was not so much a workplace thing, but a really apt movie to watch, a 1975 movie that was kind of apt to watch. It might have been better to watch last year in 2020, but still relevant. Or to me, there were very clear. COVID comparisons in this movie, basically the, the mayor and the business people pushing and the citizens, many of them pushing oh. really hard to keep the beaches open when right. the experts, quote unquote, namely the marine biologist and the sheriff at that point, not so much the captain, were really advising, hey, this is not safe. This is a very mm -hmm. dangerous situation. We need to close the beaches. And that tension between one side and the other, well, we've seen that here in the US for sure for a year and a half almost now. And uh, a good, anyway, I thought it was interesting. Boy, back in, it's, it's the same story, right? The shark is COVID, right? And everybody else is dealing with it back here the way it was. I, I couldn't help but thinking about that while watching this movie again. I love that. I didn't even think of that. See, this is why these movies are fun. And that's why, like, even if you do this offline on your own with someone that you work with, like, pick a movie and start dissecting it. Because, like, the things that the other person comes up with, I never thought of that. And you're so right. You're yeah. so right. What a great thing. What a great movie. Very it's good like movie. My, my only disappointment, ones. my only disappointment in this movie, and it's a small one, is okay. having to pay $3.99 to rent this movie for 48 hours. We both jokingly like complained about that on the work break the other day. And I was serious. I was like, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to pay $4 for something <laughs> that, you know, which is so silly, right? But I no, know. I mean, you're right. But I will say 
it was absolutely worth it. Yeah. And you can find it on Amazon prime. That's where I found it. And maybe some other places as well. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. I'm glad we did this. It's perfect for summer, perfect for July 4th. A good kind of kind of uh, good addition to our Workplace Movie Hall of Fame series, I think. And uh, we'll have to start thinking about the next one, Trish. I don't know what it is. So I think, I think we should go the whole Richard Dreyfuss route. I'm just going to throw this out there. Two years later, he made Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I love which it. Which was... Well, Richard Another Dreyfuss had a little run then, didn't he? Because I, I have not looked it. it up, but I'll bet Close Encounters might have been the top movie of that year, uh, maybe as well. And, and Probably. Maybe. But that was either that or if you did something like E.T., because I'd love to sort of have a space spin on how like how the researchers come together and make decisions. And and again, a really unknown kind of just here, don't the, here that's the difference, right? Here was a very known threat. And we've done Twister before, right? That was a known type of threat. A shark is a known type of threat versus like aliens. So I don't know, I need to think about that. It doesn't have to be close encounters, but just something. Let's look for a movie with an unknown threat. And I think that's maybe more where the COVID comparison yeah. could even get stronger, right? Where you where you really don't know. There isn't necessarily data. Uh, I would say after a while, get, we got about halfway into 2020. We knew it was out there. We, we kind of knew the threat was out there, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you, I'm just glad you didn't suggest Mr. Holland's opus as a Richard Dreyfuss movie, oh. because Mr. Holland is awful. And if we go, if we talk about that movie, I'm going to destroy Mr. Holland. So uh, okay. with well, that said, with that said, Trish, uh, let's thank, uh, thanks everybody for listening. I love doing work with Movie Hall of Fame. We thought it would be a perfect movie for kind of a summer long weekend. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, thanks to our friends at Paychecks, of course, for all their Absolutely. help and support and check out all the resources available there. Uh, and we will see you next time. Everything on, on hrhappyhour.net. Subscribe to the show. Tell a friend. And uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.